And my name is Suzanne Vogel. I am the lead pastor of both our Meredith Drive and our Bridge Campus for a couple more months. And then, you know, then we'll figure out, we're figuring out the new. Uh, but for today, I am excited to, uh, to preach the word for you this morning. Now, I have to start by telling you, uh, about five weeks ago, my siblings and I met my folks in Omaha. It's kind of the central hub, and it was a quick trip. We got there Thursday night, just in time to have birthday cake together and enjoy it. And then the plan was we were going to spend Saturday together. We were going to the Omaha Arboretum and then have a late lunch at Cracker Barrel because my mom loves flowers and breakfast you can eat until 8 o'clock at night. So that's the, that was the plan. Only the weather did not cooperate. I don't know if you remember, but uh, we'd had this crazy warm weather, and then all of a sudden, the, the temperatures dove. And, uh, and we had a day when it was like 50 degrees, and it was drizzly. And I don't think it would surprise anybody in this room or online to know that I was in favor of sticking to the plant. Because, you know, it was the plan. And I was all about like, you know, so what? That it's a little chilly and we're wearing sandals. Come on, we're, we're made of hardier stock than that. And then about 20 minutes in, even I had to admit defeat. I was like, okay, this is miserable. And uh, so that's how we ended up at Squirrel County Jail. Yeah, that's a real thing. I have pictures to prove it. Uh, it is disappointingly not a jail for squirrels, as you would think, based on the name of it. Uh, it was, it's, a, it's an odd jail that's built in a circle. And basically, we were all huddled in the Subaru, uh, and my brother was scrolling through the Yelp things to do in Omaha, and jokingly said we could go to squirrel cage jail. And my mom was like, yes, which if you know my mom is a little like, that doesn't happen very often. And so sure enough, we end up at squirrel cage jail in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Only here's the thing. It turns out that they only do a few tours a day, and the tour for Friday morning was full. Full, I tell you. Squirrel cage jail. So we took a picture, um, and then we wandered around. And we ended up in this little hole-in-the-wall barbecue joint that was so good. And we ended our meal with uh, a deep-fried salted caramel bread pudding. It was glorious. The pictures do not do it justice. I'm telling you, like... It's this, um, okay, my inner foodie's going to come out for just a minute. Like, it was this incredible blend of contrasts, right? You have the crispy edges from the deep fry, and then it's all gooey and soft in the middle. And then there's the warm from the fry and the cold of the ice cream. And then there's the little bit of salt from the caramel. You guys, I'm like, I'm almost ready to hop in my car and go to Council Bluffs just to have this for lunch today. I mean, it was that good. And no offense to Cracker Barrel, but for real. Um, and then, I'm not even going to tell you what happened here. Uh, you can ask me about it later. Um, it was, uh, yeah, that's me in the middle with my two siblings 
and mannequins. That's all I'm going to say about that. It was, but it was so fun. See, somewhere along the line, plan C became plan A. In a way I never expected or imagined even. And our original goal, right, which was to celebrate my mom, happened in beautiful ways that I think my family will never forget. Now, I have to say that day was super fun, but the stakes were low, right? We didn't lose any money. We found the job, found joy pretty quickly. But what do you do when the stakes are higher? When the cancer treatment you were banking on doesn't work. When your partner comes home and tells you they don't think they love you anymore. Or when your child says to you, I don't feel comfortable in the body I was born with. Or your church building where you got married or maybe you worshipped for a long time is now no longer going to be part of your life. What do we do when the plans get interrupted and then maybe even shot to pieces? Well, that's where we find a man named Jairus today. And so if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it to Mark chapter 5. If you don't, you can follow along. Now, I want you to know, I'm going to warn you, this is a little bit longer reading, but stay with it because I think there is so much richness for us today. So we're going to start at verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now a large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? Do you see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered, answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some men from the house of Jairus came, the synagogue ruler, and he, they said, your daughter is dead. 
Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up, walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and then told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we begin with Jairus. Now, he is well known in the community. He's a respected spiritual leader. He's not one of the professionals. He didn't go to seminary of the day. But he is actually in a position where he gives orders and runs the day-to-day reality of the synagogue. That means he's used to giving directions. And we also know that he's wealthy because it tells us that he has servants. And so he's a man of some stature and respect. But none of these things can protect him from watching his daughter get sick. None of his wealth and leadership and power can protect him from the vulnerability of watching his 12-year-old slip away. But it's a seductive narrative, isn't it? To imagine that if we make good choices and we stay healthy and work hard and love God and serve other people, well then, nothing bad will happen to me or to my people. I am the captain of my fate, the master of my soul. Only sickness doesn't care what you make for a living. And the pandemics, well, they don't consult us before they arrive, as we have been reminded, right? Floods come. Jobs are lost. Bad news is part of our reality. And we are reminded, painfully reminded, that we cannot control everything. Which, by the way, I hate. So this man, who is used to giving orders, finds himself desperately begging Jesus to come and lay his hand on his daughter. Now I want you to notice something really beautiful that happens right here. Mark says it simply. So Jesus went with him. So Jesus went with him. Now, You can't tell me Jesus didn't already have a plan for the day. I don't know what it was. I mean, maybe he was working on a brilliant sermon as he came across the lake, right? And was queuing up to deliver it to the people. Maybe he was headed to Peter's house for lunch and an afternoon nap. I don't know what the plan was, but I'm pretty sure he had one. And yet, 
Jesus graciously lays down whatever was in store to go with Jairus. He doesn't respond with, respond with irritation, right, and frustration. He doesn't rebuke Jairus for his despair. He doesn't ask him to call back later and make an appointment. He just prioritizes the person, not the plan. And we see Jesus do this over and over and over again in his ministry. He heads across the sea, and then there's a guy in a, the cemetery, and he heals him, and then heads back. It's like he just made the trip for that guy. Over and over and over again, this happens. And I'm sure Jairus begins to breathe again, right? Things are back on track. Jesus is on his way. The crowds go with and jostle, and I bet there's a sense of momentum and excitement, right? Because who knows what Jesus is going to do next. But the interruptions aren't done. Everything comes to a screeching halt when Jesus stops and asks what appears to be, frankly, a ridiculous question. Who touched me? And the crazy part, I mean, you can hear it, right, in how Mark res- records the response of the disciples. Sorry, what? Who touched you? Do you understand how many people are around? But Jesus refuses in this moment to be hurried. He ignores what I'm sure were the hints. At least one of his disciples was doing this. Remember, Jesus this is this kind of important guy. He's waiting. And the push of the crowd, right? Have you ever been in a crowd that's moving and to get that crowd to stop? Jesus ignores all of that. And it says he stands and kept looking around to see who had done it. He refuses to move past the outcast on the edge of the crowd. Now, I just... That's awesome news for the woman. But I want you to put yourself in Jairus' shoes for a minute. I mean, can you imagine? Friends, I almost lost my mind in Menards yesterday when the line was eight deep and there was no second cashier. Can I get an amen in the house? I mean, come on. Can you imagine this moment? I mean, if I were Jairus, I would be losing my mind. I would be cycling probably between impatience and irritation and frustration and rage and despair and then probably back again multiple times. I can only imagine what must have been going on in Jairus' mind. Let me take a pass at what I think could have been happening for him. Jesus, what are you doing? Don't you understand that every second counts and you stopped for a nobody? A woman? Because in that culture, women are considered way less than. Oh, and not just a woman, mind you, but a woman who hasn't been to synagogue for 13 years. Because when you're sick, you can't go to synagogue. Oh, and by the way, Jesus, don't you know she probably deserved that 
She probably deserved whatever she has because that's how our theology works. You or somebody you love probably screwed up and Jesus is, God's punishing her. So you stop for her? And oh, by the way, wait, Jesus, I know you read your Bible. I know you know that in the Old Testament, she's unclean. And if she touches anyone in this crowd, now they're unclean which means that they can't go to synagogue next week. And they're going to have to spend a week doing all the ritual cleansing, which is going to cost them money and time. And we have no idea who she touched. And so if they're really good Jewish people, they'll all assume she touched them, which means this whole group of people just made it so they can't go to synagogue. Really, Jesus? See, she was supposed to stay on the outside. Where she didn't contaminate anybody else. But Jesus refuses. But it's seductive, isn't it? To imagine that Jesus should respond to me, to my prayers, to my desperation, to my need, not others. I want to be able to approach Jesus freely, but I don't want to be inconvenienced so that other people can too. I will not ask for an amen on that, but I think it's what we often wrestle with. I want Jesus to move on my timetable, to respond to my family to accomplish my plan. But don't ask me to pay attention to people outside my family or my church or my comfort zone. I want grace. But do I have to extend it? Particularly when it's costly. But Jesus stops. He stops and he listens and he validates and he forgives and by his attention he washes away years of pain and neglect it's almost as if he holds time in his hands see jesus isn't content to heal her body he wants all of her restored and he's committed to that even as Jairus' daughter's life slips away. I got to be honest, I would not blame Jairus for being irate in that moment. I'm a little irate on his behalf in this moment. Because in that moment, the cost of that woman's healing feels earth-shattering. Jesus has chosen to stop for someone else, and as a result, his daughter is dead. The interruption cost him everything. And it's seductive, isn't it? To conclude that it's me or them. We have to choose. We take care of our own, or we focus on the folks on the margins. We prioritize the church, or we reach those whose names we don't even know. 
And I don't know how I would have responded that day if Jesus had turned and looked at me and said, don't be afraid. Keep believing. But this is the invitation of faith. In a nutshell, to stand when things don't make sense. To keep following Jesus when plan A and plan B and maybe even plan C lie in ashes. To trust when you can't breathe because of the grief and the anger and the fear. To believe the unbelievable, that interruptions in the hands of Jesus might just be part of a bigger picture that he's working to accomplish. Friends, there's a place for strategies and prioritizing. I am the queen of them. I will freely admit it. But I wonder if our impatience with the interruptions in our lives is really at a deeper place, our fear. Because we don't want to let go of our picture and our plan. Someone else's need cause us, causes us inconvenience. And John, G Ugh. let's try this again. You can tell this is a key place. Other people's need sometimes ends up costing me. And then Jesus asks me to trust. But see, that's because Jesus sees what I can't see. Jesus knows that a frightened parent and a chronically ill woman and a little girl who's dying are the point. Not my plan. Not the plan. The very ones who God came to recover and to redeem and to restore are the point. For Jesus, God's purposes and the people are always more important than my plan. Always. I love this quote from my seminary professor who said it this way. We need to know now and on the authority of the word of God and the ministry of Jesus himself that we are called to a ministry of taking interruptions seriously. And that is the way of discipleship, the way of the cross. It's the way of Jesus. In this case, Jairus keeps his eyes on Jesus. He keeps following and discovers that in the kingdom of God, there is more than enough power for a nameless woman and a hopeless situation. He realizes that God's purposes can't be stopped by interruptions. He learns that when Jesus speaks, what is dead can be resurrected. This last year has been full of interruptions. Can I get an amen to that one? Yeah. Personally and collectively. But since I'm the lead pastor, I'll speak to the collective for a minute. It's seductive, isn't it? To imagine that if we'd been more faithful, made different choices, prayed more, that the pandemic wouldn't have affected us. It's seductive to think that God should have prioritized our needs rather than inconveniencing us so that others could approach Jesus 
too. It's seductive to believe that the interruption of ministry as we knew it to attend to nameless neighbors cost us our future. But this passage invites us not to be afraid. And instead, keep believing. Keep believing. See, I don't believe the ministry of this church is dead. In fact, I don't even think it's sleeping. That's why today's video testimony was so beautiful, right? The interruption of the last year, yes, it caused and slowed some momentum. But it also opened new doors for us to reach people who would have never come into our buildings. I think about people in Nebraska. I think about people in Missouri. I think about people in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania who haven't been in a church building for years but are now engaging the good news of the gospel with us online. I think about the deeper relationships and discipleship that have happened across Zoom. I think about and I see creative discipleship opportunities happening over discussions about books and scripture and podcasts. Friends, there are people hearing good news because of this last year in ways we would have never thought about. I also believe that Jesus has plans for those of us who've been following faithfully for years. I don't believe the lie that there's only enough for either the people on the outside or the people on the inside. So that's, for example, why when we unify, we're going to have two services. There's enough, right? We can do it. They'll be similar but tailored. The one, the first one, will be tailored for people who like organs and hymns. And then there'll be a service for those of us who like our music loud and contemporary. Is Dart and Haken in the house? It's why we're reorganizing our staff to put new emphasis on discipleship and pastoral care and worship, even as we innovate and keep reaching out. It's why we'll keep investing in our kids and our students, even as we continue to invest in Hoover High School. Let me say this again and say it as clearly as I can. We're going to keep going all in for kids and students, with our neighbors, and for the future. That has not changed. How we do it, for sure, has had to change and will change radically. The timeline may not be the same, but friends, we cannot confuse buildings and plans with God's purposes and his love for people. The church is not a building. The church is us. Maybe plan C was God's plan A all along. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think we'll know until we're on that side of heaven. Maybe today the interruption you're wrestling with is part of something bigger that God is doing. One thing I know for sure, 
is that as long as we keep following Jesus, there's a chance we could end up eating deep-fried bread pudding and thanking God that his plan was better than ours. Let's pray. I think rather than me praying on our behalf, I want to create a little room for you to respond to Jesus. And so I'd invite you to just get comfortable for a minute. And uh, I want to invite you to respond. So let me start. Is there a place in your life, big or small, where you identify with Jairus? where you feel desperate and out of control, where you need Jesus to intervene. I want you to just take a minute and ask Jesus for help. And now I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to show you, is there a place where you are frustrated or impatient or angry that Jesus isn't moving at the pace or in the way that you want? I want you to confess that right now. Or maybe there's a way that you're jealous or resentful of the ways other people are experiencing God's power, but you feel like you aren't. Take a minute to confess that. Now I want you to just imagine that you are Jairus and that Jesus is speaking these words directly to you. Don't be afraid. Keep believing. Don't be afraid. Keep believing. Don't be afraid. Keep believing. Keep believing that I am for you and I am with you. Keep believing that I will never let you down or never let you go. Keep believing that I, my purposes are higher than your purposes and my ways are higher than your ways. Keep believing that I have loved you with an everlasting love. Keep believing that no matter how badly you think you have screwed up, if you just turn towards me, my arms are open wide. Keep believing now I would invite you to just recall ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of one place in your life this week or in the past where you have experienced resurrection 
one place where you saw the power of God and the grace of God in your own life. And I pray that even now you would respond to that with thanksgiving and with praise. And I pray that it would fill you with hope. That even if that day is not today, that the same God who was at work and was at work is still at work. Even if you can't see it, even if you can't feel it, he's making a way. In Jesus' name.